My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions, that's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right, my par-saving pals. Today's fairway rolling brought to you as always by our good friends at Callaway Golf who have in the Callaway family the Odyssey Golf Triple Track putters when it comes to putting birdie buddies alignment is arguably the most important part of the equation which is why odyssey keeps setting the standard for performance with the new triple track putters they have the same three alignment lines that they put on the golf balls last year they went ahead and made a whole set of putters with those lines centered on every triple track putter head it is unbelievable how easy it is. You take these lines on the ball, put the putter right behind it, line up the lines. It's the same visual technology they're using to land jets on aircraft carriers. That's how reliable and accurate it is. Once you line up correctly, you can focus on just making a great stroke with your consistency-enhancing stroke lab shaft. Get lined up with the new triple track putters at odysseygolf.com. Odyssey, the number one putter in golf. Hello, friends, and welcome to this golf podcast. Unlike any other, we have done it. We're back. It's Fairway Rolling, the golf podcast on the Rigger Podcast Network, brought to you by our good friends at Callaway Golf. I am your starter, Joe House, my Eagle enthusiast. Great show today from CBS Sports, Amanda Balionis. She's in Pebble Beach after recovering. From a full week out at the Waste Management Phoenix Open, she's finally got her legs back under her. Up at Pebble Beach, she was kind enough to give us a half hour, and we're talking about the upcoming golf season and some of the things she's seen over the past couple weeks, including her unbelievable interview of Tiger Woods at Torrey, and I'll just leave it at that. We also, Verno makes his triumphant 2020 Debut here on Fairway Rolling. Chris Vernon is on to help us come up with some tasty selections for the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. But let's get over to the first tee. Amanda Balionis is waiting for us. Let's go ahead and tee off with Amanda. All right, my birdie buddies. Now on the tee from CBS Sports. She wears many hats these days. Amanda Balionis, how are you? Hi, I'm good. It's been too long since you had me on here. Did I offend you or something? That I've had no, no, no. 
you have a standing <laughs> invite. The problem is trying to to crack your uh, impenetrable schedule. It is impossible <laughs> to keep up with you. I have to satisfy myself with just watching you on Sundays, and it's not just golf Sundays anymore. It's it's football Sundays as well because I saw you all over the NFL and college football this most recent 2019 season, right? Yeah, it's, it's hard to complain when you have the best job in the world. Full-time golf, full-time football. I'm not I'm not sure what could be better than that. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Well, how about mm-hmm. this? Welcome mm-hmm. back. Welcome back to the podcast and really welcome back into our golf lives because with all due all due respect to the nice events that are conducted the first part of January, for my money, you don't have to comment on this, Amanda. For my money, the golf season doesn't really get started until uh, Torrey Pines. And CBS production at Torrey Pines, you're back. Jim Nance is back. Nick Faldo's back. Like, And it's it's like, you know, the first legit golf course that, that you know, hosts majors at Torrey Pines. So I, I again, m- intend no offense whatsoever to the fine PGA Tour events preceding Torrey. But Tory to me, is really the onset of the golf season. And so we're happy to have you back in, in our golf lives, Ms. Balionis. Well, I am happy to be back. And it's, uh, there is no better stretch than to start out Tory Pines, which is obviously a home game for me. And then you go to the Waste Management Phoenix Open, which, as you know, is right in my wheelhouse. I feel very much at home with those fans. And then you come the beautiful pebble beach and i don't mean to rub this in but what my room right now overlooks the first tee and i'm just sitting out here with the fireplace on enjoying a cup of coffee looking at the first tee talking to you it does not get any better than this <laughs> i mean my feelings are a little hurt uh because that's incredible <laughs> but yes i agree now I, i'm i'm slightly surprised you're not in jim nance's backyard because, you know, it's it's now we've seen the video of, of uh, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady back there hitting shots. I mean, it's it's the legendary backyard hole. In fact, did Faldo have a hole in one? There's at least one hole in one back there. Oh, there are plenty of hole in ones. I believe Faldo does have a hole in one. Mark Immelman actually has a hole in one uh, on his first swing, which was ridiculous. I was inside the house and it, it, it was like the loudest. It was like a tiger roar. And I was like, what is going on? And I go out there. Mark Immelman had, uh, yeah, had a carded a hole-in-one on his first swing. Mike Wilbon has a hole-in-one out there. It's Yeah, it, it's a decent, wow. decent list to add to the name, too, if you can. <laughs> well, now now I, I feel like I ought to um, disparage it slightly. It doesn't, nobody can call that a genuine hole-in-one, right? Or do people give themselves credit for in their in their lifelong tally? I mean, I've been trying for like a lot of years now, and I would absolutely count that as a hole in one if I ever <laughs> could achieve it. <laughs> All right, that's fine. That's fine. Well, let's let's <laughs> kind of start on what's been uh, a bit of a surreal two weeks um, for the for the onset of the CBS production, and you know the real genuine kickoff to the to the uh, the competitive tour schedule because you know we we also have a bunch of the the top players in the world now playing pretty regularly um tory pines uh was a very welcome sight i greatly enjoyed seeing rory i greatly enjoyed seeing tiger i love seeing john rot like all these guys you know have been on different kinds of hiatuses all around the world all coming together that beautiful venue it looked like it was playing tough. You know, it's not quite U.S. Open tough, but boy, it reminds you how important it is to hit the fairway. It looked like the rough was up a, a, a bit. What was your experience on the ground walking Tory? I mean, the weather looked perfect. The weather was absolutely perfect. Um, it was a little cold, uh, but, you know, you can't really complain. It, it was it was pretty wonderful. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I heard players say was that the North and South course are kind of starting to even out in terms of their toughness. You know, before in years prior, um, you you had to go low on the North because the South played so much more difficult. Um, and the, the rough was very up on the North course this year. And then the South course, obviously still extremely difficult, um, still playing harder, but I think there's a little bit of an evening out uh, right now between the two courses. Um, and yeah, listen, it's just, it's a difficult, it's a difficult walk and it will beat you up if you don't hit fairways. But I think that was what was so impressive about Mark Leishman is 
he barely hit any fairways in his final round and was still able to do what he did. So, um, you know, I, I think being a big, powerful guy certainly helps. It helps them. We could say that on pretty much every golf course right now on the PGA tour. Um, but specifically at, at Torrey Pines, I, I think we saw that firsthand that, um, you know, if you're able, if you're able to kind of muscle it out of the rough and, and be really dialed in with your short game and your putting, anything can happen. And, and that's what happened with Mark Leishman. Yeah. You know, the interesting, uh, quote from Leishman afterwards, he didn't hit, uh, even 50% of fairways, but he knew where he was going to miss. Um, and right. he was very comfortable hitting out of the rough from the miss that he had. He, he was, you know, missing right. And that's the side of the golf course that he wanted to miss on. He wanted to take the left out of play because that's where out of bounds and hazard and penalty area and all that kind of bad stuff is. And, and he just, you know, was able to stick to his game plan and go low on Sunday. Right. Yeah. And I think I forgot if it was Faldo or Davis who said it, but they were saying, you know, he was missing so far right that he was actually giving himself good lies, which which was an unconventional strategy. Uh, but you know, it it uh it worked for him. So it, it, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. exactly what happened. It was uh it was funny to kind of hear it be described that way. But as we know, it's only weird if it doesn't work, and it and it worked for Leash. Yeah, well, I we have to talk about if we're going to talk about Tory and that Sunday, we have to talk about um sort of the dev- devastating circumstances of your, your, you know, the CB, the first broadcast of the season for CBS that Sunday coincides with the, um, completely unexpected tragic accident with Kobe and, and, and his daughter and the other folks in the helicopter. Um, and you know, it obviously colored the entire experience from when that news was first confirmed. Um, and you're in a, you know, you guys are in the middle of a, of a broadcast, that starts at, at, you know, uh, whatever time in the afternoon and runs, um, into the evening. And so you were all sort of living it and experiencing it at the same time as, as the rest of us. And also putting on, you know, the conclusion to a golf tournament, um, in the first place, what was it like, you know, sort of when, when did you first hear the news and what was it like amongst the crew and, and figuring out, you know, how do we properly present this? Yeah. I mean, it was like, I've never experienced anything like this. You know, this, we were actually, I was at a dinner last night and we were kind of talking about, you know, what could this be compared to? And I said, honestly, there, nothing else, nothing else in my life news, you know, news wise of of someone you didn't know, um, you know, hearing this and and realizing how it immediately impacted everyone around us and, and no one knew Kobe, right. But everyone felt like they knew Kobe or, you know, for me, I lost my dad unexpectedly less than two years ago. And I think that was the first thing I thought of was, you know, kind of like, oh man, these, these girls are now going to grow up without a father. And it was interesting. Tony Finau kind of said the same thing. He lost his mom in a car accident, I think in 2011. And he said the same, some of the same feelings of grief he felt back then came back um, when he found out that news. So it was, it, it was just interesting how it really brought up a lot of just true grief and, you know, hard, hard feelings that, you know, that you have to deal with. And it's someone that, that we didn't know, but certainly is, is such a huge person in sports and in our generation, um, you know, kids were, were crying, you know, when they found out the news, it, it just, it, it was like, unlike anything I've ever experienced. And obviously you want to do it justice and, and you want to tell the story the right way. And, and you want it to me, it was important for it not to come off as, um, I, I, you know, not as this news that we're covering, but this is a loss of a human being and of a really important, not only just athlete and role model in so many people's lives, but a father and a wife, um, you know, a father and a, and a husband. So it just, it, it was, it was that balance of, yeah, this is really big news, but to me, it was a bigger, it was a, of more importance to talk about him and treat it like you would the loss of, of someone in your life. Right. I, I just feel like to treat it like a spectacle is, is would be doing him and, and everyone a, a disservice. Yeah. And, and in that respect, um, I thought, you know, the, the way, uh, you know, the live broadcast handled it, um, was, was, you know, sort of properly 
somber, properly, you know, we, we were all kind of shocked, uh, and how to process that, that shock. Um, you mentioned, you know, that nobody amongst the broadcast team really knew Kobe, but one person who, who did know Kobe that you interviewed right after his round was Tiger Woods. And I will tell you watching, um, the broadcast, I wondered whether Tiger would disappear after his round and was, you know, mm-hmm. able to sort of get in, in touch with, you know, that, that sort of shock and the devastating feeling of loss, whether he was just going to, you know, um, decline an interview and come out sometime later with a, with a statement or whether he was going to kind of share his, his, you know, gut reaction. And, uh, well, let me ask you, how, how did the interview come to pass? Yeah, I mean, we we had discussed it with PGA Tour um, communications, and you know, and I said I was like, listen, it, I don't know how close they were, you know, so I don't know. We have to obviously ask if he wants to talk, you know, if he's if he's willing to talk. If he says no, that is fine, right? Like I, you right. Don't, I, I don't know that that to me is you're never going to ambush someone about death. I, I just feel like you have got you've got to have some human you know, I don't know, integrity left to, to know that that's not something that you push somebody on. Um, so PJ Tour Communications, they did a great job. They, you know, they gave him a little bit of space and, and they talked to him, you know, aside, they talked to him, you know, by himself. They said, you know, what do you want to do? And, and to his credit, I mean, he, he chose to come talk to us and then, and then talk to media after that as well. So, um, you know, I just think it's, it was such a unique situation because I would think the only person that kind of has that impact as an athlete in our generation, other than Kobe Bryant right now is Tiger Woods. Right. So, so Tiger understood point. this not only, yeah, I mean, not just as a, you know, not as someone that just knew Kobe, but as someone that can understand who Kobe was to the world. Um, and he was the only person I think that could really relate to him and what this probably means for millions of people around the world. Um, so I, I thought that what he said was wonderful. Um, I think he had only a few minutes to process before he came and talked, which is so incredibly hard to do. Um, and honestly, I just, I respected him so much for, for, for doing that. I, I, it wasn't, I think if, if you're a tiger, you probably don't want to talk about the loss of a friend, right? I, I don't know. I think everyone handles grief differently and news like that differently. But I think he honestly did it for the people at home that were already grieving. And he could offer up some sort of insight into the person that everybody, you know, was, was still trying to comprehend the loss of. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you just made that point because the feeling that I had, I, I, and, and looking back now, it's even uh, more of a powerful kind of sentiment for me. I was grateful. I was grateful mm. that he, um, in the face of, you know, the, the, that shocking news had, you know, the, the, whatever it is whatever. where he, he knew that it was important to come share with the public, you know, a, a reaction. He didn't have to do it and it would not have been a black mark against him in any way, shape or form. Not Nobody would all. have said one bad nope. thing about Tiger if he hadn't come and nope. said something. But the fact that he decided to do that um, and share with us, you know, he, he, your point is so well taken. He has the most unique perspective on uh, Kobe and what Kobe meant to mm-hmm. the culture and Kobe as a global icon. Um, and you know, so, so just getting his reaction was meaningful in some way. I want to give you some credit. Um, you, cause you let him at the beginning sort of give a reaction, but then you asked a follow-up question. You asked him, what will you remember most? Had you cleared that with him ahead of time? Had you told him that you were going to ask that? How, How did that come to be? No, I mean, I think the he was very clear on, hey, listen, when you come over and talk to CBS, it's just going to be about Kobe, right? Like that, it, so, you know, it was it was going to be, you know, however many questions, you know, they told me I could ask, and, and it was two. And that one just kind of felt right to me. You know, I just think of like the grief I've, the loss I've suffered in my life. It is kind of comforting when people ask you, what are the good things that you're going to remember about that person, you know, and, and to let other people kind of think about that too. Um, so that, that was kind of where I was going with it. And, 
I, I wanted it to be open-ended enough that he could take it wherever he felt comfortable taking it. Um, but I, I do kind of feel like that, that question resonates with everybody when you lose someone is you want to think about the good things that you'll remember about them. Right. And I think that hopefully gave the viewers some sort of like, you know, a little smile in a really difficult moment of remembering why we loved Kobe Bryant so much when none of us knew him. Um, and, and he gave some really, really great stories about Kobe that I think made all of us kind of go, yeah, that, that was him. And that's what made him, you know, one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. And, and, you know, so a uh, great job by you because um, it, it did create that opportunity for him to go ahead and, and, you know, um, take it in a, in that positive direction. And like I say, uh, kind of in a overall way, I'm grateful to, um, have heard from him and, you know, so the, 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 just the interaction between the two of you, um, on, on balance and very weird kind of surreal situation, um, what was, was helpful. So, um, again, great, great job by you. Uh, Thank you. I, I, I want to, I want to, speaking of great jobs, you survived this past week down in Phoenix at the Waste <laughs> yeah. Management Phoenix Open. And so uh, in the first place, you know, congratulations on on making it through yet another one of those insane uh, events. It, it, it It's presented in a way by, um, you know, Golf Channel and by CBS when you kind of turn it on and watch. You could the one the first thing I'm struck by always is the enormous amount of human beings. It's like the 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 largest or second largest sporting event in North America. You know, I don't know what the Indy 500 numbers are like, but like it's it's an incredible amount of 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 humanity. Um, what's it like? I I am still on my bucket list. What's it like being there? It's the best. Like I love it so much because it is. So much fun. And yeah, can it get out of hand? Absolutely. You know, one, with a couple of idiots, but for the most part, every, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people are rolling into a golf course to drink and have fun. And I think treat it like a, like a football game, like a basketball game. And I think that's what our sport needs. I'm not saying it needs it every week, but to me, the best thing about this tournament is I walk around and it is so many people my age and younger enjoying a golf tournament. And I think that is so important to be able to show, you know, and I think I said this on Instagram, I said, you know, five, whatever, how many, however many people come through almost right. Half a million, something like that throughout the week. It's wild. You know, if, if even 10,000 of those people, 40 and under walk away feeling like, you know what, I would love to go to another golf tournament or I would love to go, you know, pick up a golf club for the first time because this actually looks like a lot of fun and I don't have to always be quiet and I can play music, you know, like I saw on that, you know, on the 16th hole all week, or I don't have to, you know, always dress the part, you know, you're seeing guys put on basketball jerseys and hockey jerseys and, and stuff like that throughout the week on 16. I think it just shows that like, it doesn't always have to be a certain perception of this game that might turn people off that are, you know, in that millennial era. So I think if 10,000 of those people go and like kind of have some curiosity about the game after that, it's a huge success. Um, and it's, it's just so much fun. It's just like, I, I don't know. I think we get so used to things being quiet and talking in whispers and giving the polite clap that I, I sometimes, especially as a big sports fan outside of golf as well, it's fun to kind of be like, yeah, get loud and show these guys what it's like, you know, to, to heckle them and to cheer them on in a way that they don't get to experience the rest of the year. Well, that's a, that's the point I want to ask you about. Um, because the thing that I'm always reminded of, this is the closest that professional golfers get to feeling what it's like to be a professional athlete inside a stadium. Um, and you know, that, that interaction that's so much more, uh, intimate than what they're accustomed to where you're surrounded on the 16th hole and, you know, they're building up the stand 17 and 18 also have, you know, nearly <laughs> yep. uh, full enclosures. Um, but like the dynamic and the energy and like the enthusiasm and also the heckling, like all that goes into it. What's your view? What did you observe in terms of 
how the guys seem to like it. Do they on balance? Do they like it? Do some guys not like it? Like what? What's your observation on that? Yeah, I mean, listen. The cool thing about golf is no player has to play any event, right? So the guys that choose to be here know exactly what they're getting themselves into. Um, and I think it can wear on them a little bit. I talked to Max Toma, you know, he shot seven under on Saturday and I saw him walking off the course and I thought, you know, he's, he's one of the happiest guys, nicest guys out on tour. And he just looked worn out. And I was like, Max, you look like you just shot seven over. Like, what is this? And he was like, that was just draining. He's like, it's just draining to have people screaming at you for all 18 holes. He said, you know, it's fun. I live here and I love coming out here, but it can certainly, um, it can certainly wear you down a little bit. But I think in the moment, I, a lot of these guys that choose to be here thrive in it. Like he wore every day a Kobe jersey and told people to get loud, right? We saw it with Tony Finau as well. And I, I think it's fun for them to kind of show a little swag out there on the course in a way that, it, you know, in a way that they don't really get to do unless it's a President's Cup or Ryder Cup. You know, when when else do we see this? Like the Ryder Cup, I guess, on the first tee when, you know, the players are telling everyone to get loud is the only other time we see them do this. So I think it's, you know, really fun to watch them kind of bring out their alter ego a little bit. Um, but I think by the end of the round, they're like, oh my gosh, get me into a silent room and I don't want to hear from anybody for, for the next week that, after this. But I, so I think funny. in the moment they really like it. Yeah, sure. And it is different, you know, for, uh, there, there aren't, um, I guess football games. No, no, football games don't go as long as a, a round of golf in a venue like that under those circumstances. I was trying to think if there's something duration wise where the guys, uh, have to go through it, but I'm not surprised at all to hear Homa, um, you know, that, 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 uh, tale of his own fatigue. It's gotta be, you know, just the, 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 the coping mechanism required to, you know, perform under those circumstances, but it does make it, um, very cool. You speaking of very cool climb into the stands on 16, you have a group of folks that you connect with, um, and they have like, uh, a script or something. What, what's the deal with your, with those guys? Yeah. So they have a spreadsheet. I love this. It's just like how the Cameron crazies organize their tiers, um, you know, for Duke basketball. So they have like a spreadsheet of the full field with, all of like the details about these guys, anything like as benign as their middle name and what high school they went to, to names of their ex-girlfriends or something embarrassing that's happened to them in the past. And they have whiteboards and they write down words on the whiteboards when certain players come up and they show them to the crowd. And then the whole crowd knows exactly what they're chanting. And that it's right near the first, you know, towards the tee box. So these guys are not ignoring them. They can hear it loudly and clearly. Um, and that's how they get, that's how the whole thing kind of started with them organizing these cheers that way. And it's interesting to watch the progression of this because now, as you mentioned they they've built out these stands so much that it's almost like the guys that are the OGs near the tee box are becoming less worrisome than the insane crowds that are wrapped around the green. Because when you walk down to that green, it is 20 times louder and they are way more rambunctious and it is. Yeah. So you get no reprieve from, from T to green. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm sure um, the guys that are going from this to pebble, uh, even though pebble has its own particular flavor, they'll welcome at least, you know, the, the decibel level going down uh, a <laughs> bit. Um, so this is the, the, uh, the Pro-Am event at, at Pebble, you are physically there now. You made a point of telling us at the very beginning you're looking out on the first tee, so, you know, congratulations. Um, <laughs> thank you. For, what, thank what, you for what, accepting my humble brag. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about this week? How, how, what's the sort of production concept? What's the goal? Because, you know, the, the um, celebrities play, there's a cut for the celebrities, but some celebrities will be playing all the way till Sunday. Typically, Saturday has been the day to feature you know, the most prominent names. What are, what are you guys after in terms of the presentation of this event this week? Yeah, I, mean, I think I think it's always about the balance. Actually, it's not that dissimilar to Phoenix Open, right? Phoenix Open on Saturdays, it's pretty much all about the 16th hole and the most unique probably stage in all of golf. And then Sunday, it is just about golf. Um, you know, and, and we had an incredible finish last, last week. But 
Pebble is, is a very similar thing. You know, we want to show the flavor of this tournament. That's why this tournament is so unique. It's one of the most beautiful backdrops in the world. And then you have some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment. And we want to be able to highlight that on Saturday and still tell the golf story. Um, so it's finding that balance on Saturday, which I think CBS has done an amazing job of well before my time um, of being here. And then Sunday, it's it's strictly all about golf. And it's about, you know, the winners coming down the stretch or, you know, the guys trying to get that win down the stretch. And and, and we go from there. So um, it's definitely back-to-back very unique weekends of finding the balance of telling the story of the tournament and what, and what makes it so unique, um, but also telling, doing a good job of, of telling the golf story that the golf fan at home uh, wants to see and hear. So, you know, I think, I just think it's super cool. You're, you're going to have Aaron Rodgers in the field, Larry Fitzgerald in the field. Um, you know, it's just, you can't ask it to me for a better, you know, Tony Romo is going to be in the field. So you're, you're going to have the best athletes in their sport come out here and compete with the, with the best CJ tour players in the world. I think it's, it's one of the coolest dynamics in all of golf. I agree with you. I, I always enjoy it. And I like that it's in February, right? Like we're still getting our arms around the golf season. It's pebble. It's so it's a spectacular and iconic venue for us. East coasters. We, I I'll speak for myself. I love California golf at, at this time of year because it really, you know, it build, starts building the flavor. You know, I think it's spring is right around the corner for us. Now uh, I'm going to ask you, uh, I know you always keep it professional you always keep your cool, but is there one person that you anticipate seeing this weekend that you're especially excited to see or maybe to meet for the first time? Is there a celebrity that you're going to bump into at this thing that you're going to get, you're going to have, you know, the butterflies are going to be rolling? No, you know, I think the most nervous I get, honestly, and, and maybe it's a little less so now that I'm covering NFL, but like when we would have, you know, when you have like Hall of Famers, and future Hall of Famers that you're interviewing, I was just like, man, this is nerve wracking. I don't want to mess up in front of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I think that that's a little less now. Um, I'm trying to think of this. Not really. My mom always told me I was kind of too dumb to be nervous in front of important people. Like I never, I never <laughs> so you're really not, had that twist. <laughs> you're not nervous about Larry the Cable Guy? No, I'm not. You know, I will say the one person I cannot get it together around and I constantly stumble through interviews with is Condoleezza Rice. Because oh. all I can think of the whole time in my head is this woman is smarter than the rest of the world. And I have no business asking her any questions because whatever I ask her, I'm going to sound like an idiot. And then I end no. up sounding like an idiot. So no, I'm that's, work on that's that. not, that's <laughs> a real, yeah, you, that's not the right way to think about it. We, you want to have the rest of the world share in her, we need her brilliance. There's only one way to elicit that. And that's through an interview. So you're doing us all a a big favor by getting her to speak. (laughs) I'm not worthy of Condoleezza Rice interviews. (laughs) Well, speaking of, of not worthy, uh, I can't let you go without getting your thoughts, you know, here at fairway rolling, we try and do our best to help steer our faithful listeners with some boots on the ground advice about, you know, what guys look like they're playing well, who do you expect, you know, to do great things this season? Who should we keep an eye on? And we're always looking for some value. We know the big names and we know the big names are going to do great. So I'm going to put you on the spot. We're going to help everybody with a little return on investment here. Who's the, tell us one or two guys on the Amanda Balionis sleeper list, if you, if you would. Well, he's not a sleeper, but I got to mention his name. Brant Snedeker just seems to either win or be in contention at every West Coast event. So always put, you know, always put your face behind him. I would say Graham McDowell. I, I don't know if he's really considered a sleeper, but kind of because he's he's kind of just getting his, his game back underneath him, um, but played really well last week on the European tour. And um, I, I think he... Uh, you know, he won last week on the European tour. So I think he, his confidence is going to be really high, especially at a place that he's obviously won here before. Um, and then I guess for, I don't know, Max Toma is another one. I know we've talked weirdly a lot about him today, um, but he is playing really well. I mean, his swing, it's the best I've seen it. Look, it's unbelievable. Last week, uh, he really put himself in the mix and then maybe a sleeper would be a, a Maverick McNeely, someone like that, that, uh, Ooh, I love it. Extremely. Yeah, extremely comfortable um, around this golf course. You know, his dad has been playing in this event 
forever. Um, I, you know, West Coast guy, so he, he might be a good sleeper to to put something behind as well. Well, that's a okay, Maverick McNeely. That's that's the kind of way deep. Like I know those other guys' names, <laughs> but you go into the the McNeely class. That's like that's some good. That's the, that's the kind of stuff the Fairway Rolling Crew is looking for. Um, but you know, we're, we're always looking for visits from you. I promise you and I will do a better job this 2020 golf season. You have to come back at least once and maybe we'll be in the same place at the same time and be able to have a little live conversation. Maybe the, the birdie buddies out there would like that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we need to plan a little golf trip. Maybe we need to plan a little golf trip. I mean, you know, I, I, I know if we get some some coffee for the morning, a little red wine at night, that that's that's that I, I have a decent chance of getting you, you know, being able to meet up with you. Throw throw a puppy in there, and I'll be wherever you tell me to be, Hal. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna let I'm gonna end on that note. Congratulations! The event that you had a couple <laughs> weeks ago, we saw how much money you raised for puppies and golf. Um, uh, who's the, the the charity warrior? The wounded warrior charity. It goes to canines for warriors. Yeah. And then you had it down in San Diego a couple of weeks ago, the very first inaugural uh, puppies and golf event. Uh, you had a nine hole um, miniature golf course set up. There were a lot of animals there. There were a lot of veterans there. It looked like an incredible day. Yeah, it was wonderful. I mean, Callaway was awesome. They uh, donated all of the newest Odyssey putters and all the new Maverick line for uh, a little closer to the pin on, on a simulator that we had. And then, uh, this incredible company, Heritage Link, donated a nine-hole putting course. So not just like a miniature golf course. Like they came down and laid down bricks and sand and sod and rolled it out like you would invest in your backyard a putting course. It was it was absolutely incredible. So and then of course it was dog friendly. So the human to dog ratio was like one to one, which I could not have been happier about we raised over twenty two thousand dollars so it was uh it was really really fun you'll have to come next year <laughs> all right that's it well that's it you set the expectation now this is this year was inaugural now you have to do it every year you understand that that's i do understand that i'm all in <laughs> amanda balionis always our pleasure to chat with you good luck this week at pebble thank you i'll talk to you soon Hal. All right, my friends, big thanks to Amanda Balionis. We have to have her on more often here at Fairway Rolling. Nobody keeps it rolling like Amanda Balionis. We're going to jump over to Verno here in a second, but I want to take a minute and tell you about the Callaway Maverick Irons. So last year, you know, because we've been talking about it, Callaway started using their artificial intelligence to design they're drivers, and it changed the way people think about driver construction. Golfers everywhere were bombing the golf ball because of this breakthrough leap in technology. But we're sitting there saying, us regular golfers, what about some of that distance technology in an iron? Well, Callaway heard our request. They created the brand-new Maverick Irons using artificial intelligence, which makes them the first irons designed by AI. And they didn't do it for just one iron. No siree. Here's what they did. Every loft on every iron has flash face cup technology. The flash face cup uniquely designed by AI to completely maximize distance. It allows, let me get scientific on you. It allows the center of gravity to be precisely positioned throughout your set. You have, your set is stepped to yardages. The center of gravity with the flash face cup technology set to give you optimal launch and control. So if you want to, you can bomb it with every golf club. Maverick Irons come in standard, pro, and max models to fit every type of player. This is a brand new decade of innovation. Artificial intelligence is paving the way. Distance is out there, my birdie buddy buddies. It takes a Maverick to find it. Get your set of Maverick irons at CallawayGolf.com. Callaway, the number one irons in golf. All right, my Eagle enthusiasts, now on the tee, our boy Chris Vernon. Yo, Verno, what's happening? Yo, another year of fairway rolling. I am 
sad to report I probably won't be playing any golf with Andre Iguodala. I, I mean, Iggy just refuses to do anything in the great city of Memphis. Is, has he even had any Gus's fried chicken? No, and we should turn this into, maybe we, we should just turn it into a, a great promotion of golf rather than anything about basketball because I feel like he's having too great of a time playing golf every day of his life to even worry about basketball. <laughs> well, you know, and he is a Callaway guy who went and got fit. I, I know. know I saw some, some pictures. Uh, and I have to tell you, I can't really blame him for, you know, getting paid. He's getting paid his full NBA salary and he's out playing golf. What he's doing is living the dream. I mean, he's doing the thing that we (laughs) wish we were doing, right, Verno? (laughs) It's called living the dream. Yes. Getting paid to play golf all the time and and really no pressure, right? (laughs) No pressure in that kind of golf. Just whatever the, the, the $10, $20 Nassau he's playing. That's all. That's the only pressure. Uh, it, it's a, it it shouldn't come at the expense of the good people in Memphis though. That's the only thing that we object to, right? Yes. And I'm going to tell you this, right. As we get started here with the golf season, I'm glad I, uh, I've said the report today and I text you over the weekend. So my season started out about how last season ended last season ended with all in on Brooks Kepka versus Rory McIlroy and Rory McIlroy rip uh Brooks Kepka's mine and everybody else's uh hearts out that were backing Brooks Kepka uh, out of, out of their chest and then threw it on the ground and, and urinated on it afterwards um and now this year you know the season has started going into Friday after the first round Tony Finau is plus 2500 I see the inspirational he's out there he's wearing a Kobe Bryant jersey for goodness sake and I'm like this is destiny destiny plus 2500 uh, get in on it house and then uh and then he shoots nine under he's right there at the very top in the lead going into the last day holding the lead all the way into the very end until webb simpson then ties him and beats him in the playoff i mean i mean it was set up to be an incredible story because tony was one of the folks who uh, gave a very candid reaction to the news that Kobe passed, and he likened it to the experience in his life, the devastating, uh, unexpected uh, death of his mom in a, in a car crash uh, in the early you know 2010 2011, and um, you know he he shared that that very personal story, and he's he's a lifelong hoops fan, he's a known Lakers fan, a known Kobe fan. And so, you know, he, he shared in, in a kind of a candid and emotional way. And then he showed up in Phoenix, really a lot of the guys did too. I mean, you know, uh, props to, to J- Justin Thomas, JT's out there in Kobe's lower Marion, his high school Jersey. A lot of the guys were doing tributes, uh, to Kobe throughout the week, but you know, Finau comes by and honestly, and he had on, I know he had the shoes and the Jersey. Oh yeah. Major, major, uh, basketball fan. For sure. And you know what's crazy? I met him picking you up at your hotel, talked to him then because it had just so happened uh, that Mike Conley had been traded from Memphis to Utah. Now, Conley was a member of my golf, of my golf course and played all the time, all the time. So I just knew that they would end up becoming fast friends. And I'm happy to report that like a month and a half ago, I run into Mike. I say something about the golf up there. And he's like, you know, I'm like best buddies with Finau now. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and so they have become, they've become super tight and play golf together all the time. Tony Finau and Mike Conley. How about that? It all started in Memphis in July, 2019. Right. All great things start in Memphis. The Andre Iguodala should hear this and, and realize <laughs> what he's, what he's missing out on. But you know that Finau Conley relationship is going to have to persist because Finau moved. He moved out of Utah. Oh wow! Yeah, he just moved uh, to to Arizona, I think. Uh, I guess uh, Mike Conley's going to have to find a new best friend. Yeah, or get traded to the Suns. Those are the options. Guy, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. Well, we were rooting for 
uh, Finau this weekend. It would have been a nice yeah. uh, turn turn of events. It would have been nice for your wallet. Um, but let's pick up. Speaking of stories to root for, so uh, we're, you and I are going to do what we always do, which is compare notes on the upcoming event. But two weeks from now, Tiger Woods is hosting. Uh, he's the tournament host at the Genesis Invitational at Riviera Country Club in Los Angeles. And we know we've already heard a little bit of some of the early uh, uh, behind-the-scenes intelligence that there's going to be some tributes to Kobe there. And I, for sure, I've said on last week's podcast, the thing I'm rooting for more than anything would be Tiger breaking Sam Snead's record, getting his 83rd PGA Tour win in Los Angeles next week as a type of tribute um, to Kobe. That would be incredible incredible to me what, what what are you thinking about tiger it would be unbelievable well i'm thinking i i just want to saw the president's cup for sure right and then we saw him at tory pine a couple weeks ago and i think he was t9 so he ends up in the top 10 in that yeah and it sounds as if he's gonna probably have a schedule more like the last year you know two years ago he played I think it was 18 events, PGA Tour events. Last year, it was more like 12. It looks like, you know, the way this schedule is going, he's probably not going to be playing in a lot of back-to-back weeks. Obviously, he's skipping this one, the AT&T Pebble Pro-Am. Um, so, we get him at that Genesis Open, but uh, it, he looks to be in very good form. And, again, if we're rooting for stories, I'm right there with you because that would be fantastic with him as the host. Um, making that happen, and, I, and like I said, I thought he was good at Tory Pines. Again, he's in the mix. That's all. That's all we can want. House is he in the mix, right? And when you are, when you're in the top ten, especially what we saw coming off after that, uh, after that President's Cup, where you know there were some real moments in that for him. I am, um, I'm encouraged to say the least. Well, I, I, two, two things to, to your observation. And this is to all of our Eagle enthusiasts out there this week in Tiger Woods. Tiger, Tiger, Tiger Woods. I want to uh, make uh, the observation, first of all, on the back nine on Sunday, on the second hole, he hit a ball from the fairway about a 90-yard shot that went in the hole, but then bounced back up. So he he was deprived of eagle on that hole, and he also had a great chance at eagle uh, in, on that front side. I think it was on the sixth hole. Um, now, that one didn't go in the cup and hop, hop back out, but, you know, that's Tiger, Tiger's game is on point. So there isn't, you know, based on what we've seen, the body of evidence it was concerning last fall. We, this is our first chance to compare notes since the news about him going out and getting another knee surgery. But then he 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 calmed us all down because he went and won the brand new event in Japan, and then looked absolutely great. He finished in the top five at his event down in the Bahamas, his his charity event, and then went to the President's Cup and looked like you know the the sharpest American player. Um, he just physically couldn't handle playing every day. So he took the whole Saturday off, but he looked like to me, you know, if not the best, the second best American player. And then, and then he shows up on tour first event, Tory, a bruiser of a, of a golf course, a place where he has unmatched unparalleled success and channels it right on into a top 10 finish. And we love that. So that's the form that we're, well, that he's in. The other thing, the, other thing the conditions were crap. You know what I'm saying? Like he didn't, yeah. This was not like the 75 and, and sunny, beautiful, you know, San Diego that he's playing at, right? That's not the, that's not, that's not what they signed up for at Torrey Pines. So that was not, that wasn't that easy to be able to play the way he did. So that's promising. And, and like you said with the president, you also have to take in the whole consideration of he, I mean, you saw him get so emotional over that as being the captain of that team and was so proud and, and, and grew this bond amongst those guys. And he, he just seemed to be in a great place. Like we're just talking about the off the course stuff, right? Um, yeah. Cause he has dealt with, well, he has, he's dealt with such levels of 
intense frustration over the course of the past 10 years. It just seemed, I don't know, every time he saw him get interviewed, he seemed like he was having the absolute time of his life and that that was really, truly a moment for him, you know, to, to get excited about the win. It just seemed like he was, he, he was excited about that as anything we've seen outside of the Masters. Well, you know, it's an incredible uh, opportunity, and I'm very curious to say, you mentioned the schedule that he's going to be playing this year. And, you know, you and I both, I think, um, believe that he learned some lessons from last year, you know, in between the winning the Masters. Uh, well, I don't I, I'm going to get the sequence wrong, but he had some international trips that he'd already had planned. And he went on travel with his family and he was not recovered from the after effects of winning the Masters when he went and played the PGA Championship and he had a cold. And then, you know, he was in decent shape for the U.S. Open, but then he had another, he said, international travel before the Open Championship, the British Open, and it just looked like he was running on fumes. So I'm sure that he took some, you know, uh, some of that information and put it into the Tiger supercomputer and is processing a schedule that works. But the other sort of added wrinkle, when we were talking about the President's Cup and his stature uh, on the world stage, the Olympics are this summer, and he has said very publicly, very deliberately, he intends to play in the Olympics. He wants to qualify for the U.S. team. And, and I thought last year, House, you know, I, I talked about this a lot when we did the show. I, again, I'm being a pop psychologist here, but I just really felt like, you know, he was so great at the tail end of the prior season. You know, he ends with a bang. And then he comes out and he and he's good off the bat. And it's all kind of leading up to the Masters. And then he wins the Masters. And you've got all these things about, you know, now my kids are a little older and I wanted to for them to see, right? You know, their dad, yeah, he's pretty good. And you had all that going in. Like, it just felt a lot like something to prove. I'm working towards this. And then, like, what happens after... You've done it. After all this work and all that hard work, and it's been validated. You've won that major again. You're hugging your kids. I, I just thought there was there was an inevitable come down after that, right? That you, you know, they talk about this with guys in contract years in sports. It's almost like a contract year. I'm, I, I give it everything I've got. And I've got this, you know, I just want to reach the summit. If I reach that summit, then sometimes it can be dangerous because the guy will sign a contract and you never get that version of him again with tiger i just felt like that was it wasn't the end goal but it certainly was the immediate goal and so yeah, once I, he proved i'm good enough to win the masters again it was like it was the grand accomplishment right like what what else are you going to do after that like everything is i mean i get you could go and you can say oh i want to i want to win every major but i don't think He's wired like that anymore to where it's like seek and destroy, win every single major. And so the fact that he got that Masters, proved everybody he's one of the best in the world and can be at this course, gets another green jacket. Kids are old enough now to not only witness it, but understand what's happening. They see their dad as the best. And it's like, hey, let's go on vacation and go overseas and do this and do that. And I'm sure it did take out like a, Major toll on what was going to be the rest of the season post-Masters. That's 100% right. There's no denying that the uh, emotional and physical impact of winning the Masters, it in, upon reflection, it probably you know took them two months to get back to equilibrium. Well, it just so well, happened that those... It's a radically different season, right? That's it's right. It's a radically yes. different season if he doesn't win that. It just is. And you probably get a totally different version of him. You're right. I totally agree with all of that. So we'll see this season, you know, what his, what his goals are and, and how he, he maps things out and what we see about his schedule. Um, but he has to play and play well to stay among the top four American men because, you know, the top four American men right now is, is crazy competitive with uh, Justin Thomas and Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka. And then you have some other guys, you know, around the hoop. Patrick Cantlay's up there in the top 10. Xander Shoffley's up there. So Tiger's going to be duking it out now. Both Brooks and DJ 
have, you know, not jumped out of their seats to talk about how excited they are to go play in the Olympics in Tokyo. Um, so it might be the case that there's a slot sort of uh, available for Tiger no matter what. I will, for Can one. Can you imagine if that's the four? Could you imagine if it went yeah. Brooks, DJ, if it went Brooks, DJ, Tiger, Thomas? Holy mackerel. Yeah, well, we'll 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 root for it, and we'll just see how the schedule plays out, and and hope for everybody to stay healthy, because um, that would be a pretty formidable crew. I mean, that could be pretty exciting. Uh, I I don't know what time of day they'll be showing golf um, here. I know they'll save some for prime time, but if it's happening live overnight, I'll be setting the clock for three in the morning. Believe me. Um, and knowing us, we'll probably end up with Patrick Reed. <laughs> Well, speaking of uh, setting the clock, we have coming up this week uh, one of my favorite tournaments to watch on television just because of the time of year that it falls in uh, for a, as an East Coaster. Um, you know, being able to see Pebble Beach and Spyglass and Monterey Peninsula here in the, the first week of February. Uh, now, it's 65 degrees here in Washington. I played golf yesterday, but... Um, most of the time, it's freezing cold, and I'm still six weeks out before thinking about a golf club. Um, and I love, you know, it's the late afternoon on into prime time, being able to watch this. And the rounds are extra long because it's the pro-am. So prime time, West Coast golf at, you know, one of the most beautiful golf courses on the planet. Uh, it, it's always a special tournament, right? Oh, for sure. I love it. I, the visuals of it. I mean, it's iconic. Have you ever played it's there? One of the ones I, I absolutely want to do. I've all I've done is walk it. Uh, I went out for the U.S. Amateur there uh, a couple years ago and walked it. Now we, you and I are going to um, give out some some selections. Let me briefly describe the field, but I'm 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 foreshadowing that the, when my walking the golf course, the guy who won there uh, could be on your list. But let me just name some of the names that are going to be here at Pebble Beach. DJ, of course is coming back. This is his first, uh, event, you know, in, in, uh, 2020, uh, on, I think U S soil. I'm pretty sure that's true. Um, Patrick Cantlay is playing. Jason day is playing, uh, kids, Paul Casey, who was runner up to Phil. Phil of course is going to be here. Sneds who always plays good, um, out in California on these POA greens, Jordan Spieth, the curious case of Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth is going to be here. Uh, and then uh, your guy, Victor Hovland. Speaking of walking the golf course in 2018 and catching the guy who won the U.S. Amateur there and then was the low U.S. the low amateur at the U.S. Open in 2019 at, at, at Pebble Beach. Um, let, me, let me ask you, I don't want to... Uh, put words in your mouth, but we are going to, we have the brand new, uh, Maverick pick of the week. I want to tell you about the Maverick driver by Callaway. This is spelled M A V R I K Verno. They don't need E and they don't need C because what they got <laughs> is a I and that's artificial intelligence in this Maverick driver. They've designed a, a new flash face, the flash face SS20, engineered to promote fast ball speeds across a more expansive area on the face in every model and loft. And so what you get is low spin and high MOI, moment of inertia. That's for science. That's for artificial intelligence. I don't understand it, but I think it's a good thing. Interchangeable weights if you want to hit a draw or a fade or just want to go neutral. This is going to be our first Maverick pick of the week, Verno, at the AT&T Pebble Beach Open. Who do you like? All right. So, the aforementioned Victor Hovland. I told you, and you can attest to this, at the end of last season, I said next year is the Hovland year. I said because he's going to be out there, he's going to be playing these events, and we'll be able to get odds on him. And right here at the very beginning, he won there in 18. Not only did you, you mentioned that he was the low amateur, right? At the, at the U.S. Open. Okay. What yep. you did not mention was he broke Jack Nicholas's record. He's the lowest amateur there can be. All right. He has been great. 
at this course. Great. I know he scuffled along at the waste management, ended up, didn't make it through. It is simply this guy who I think is going to be a massive breakout star this year and win tournaments. Beyond that, he has been unbelievable at this venue. I'm taking the whole capital. Actually, I take that back. It'll be a little bit. I'll probably have a little bit on, by the way, Callaway guy, Xander Shoffley, because did well down the stretch for me last year at the Open. The other one is, um, I've got, I'll have my ceremonial $5 on my best buddy, HV3. So Harold Barner, who did you see? The, did you see the record he broke? And Incredible. Yet, like, you know, he had 32 cars in a row. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't realize that that was that would be the record, but sure but then, enough, and missed the cut. Um, and then yeah, missed the cut. Missed the cut. He parked right, every bye. damn hole and missed the cut. Um. So, anyways, uh, five bucks on Varner pays five hundred, <laughs> just in case it ever happens. But fifty bucks pays fifteen hundred for Victor Hovland. So, might be a little on Xander. It'll be the tiny one on uh, on HV3, but I'm all in on, on Hovland this week. That's my guy. Well, it's going to be hard for me to lay off of Phil Mickelson because speaking of loving a story, this is the, the site of his last PGA Tour victory, and then he basically fell off the planet. Uh, now, he was putting out unbelievable content all of 2019 we saw his calves we saw him hitting bombs he was doing fireside with phil chats unbelievable social media content not a lot of great golf so i'm hoping that this he had a good result uh just over the weekend um on the european tour i'm hoping he shows up at pebble all of the uh good feels click in he's just feeling himself and he's ready to roll. He's got. He put the new Maverick driver in the bag. He he he, uh, you know, was hitting his bombs last week. So I think he he could be ready. But that's not my pick. <laughs> I mean, I'm rooting for it. I want to see good things out of Phil. Um, as a as a 50 year old, I I want to see good things. He's 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 right around the corner. He turns 50 this year. My pick is going to be just a regular old chalky pick. I'm taking Paul Casey. Um, he plays Pebble Beach well. The last two times. Uh, he's played in this event. He, he finished second last year to Phil on, on a Monday and he was tied for eighth the year before that. And then he was in the top 25 at the U S open, but he's striking the ball. Great. Um, he's been, uh, gaining both strokes gained off the tee strokes gained on approach. Um, you know, in all of those sub measurements. So the, the ball striking is there and he's at a familiar place. My Maverick pick of the week. Paul Casey, it's a chalky pick, but we want to get out the year off on 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 a, on a good foot. You know what I mean, Verno? What kind What kind of number we get? Uh, Paul Casey, I see are available at sixteen to one. Oh, that's not so chalky. That's not, yeah, it's still anything less than twenty. I don't like to play it, but you know, I just want to get off on a on, with a good start, a little return on investment for all our our uh, birdie buddies out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, sixteen to one's good hit. All right, all right. Well, hits it. You know, we, no, I look the chalky is the the DJs and the ones that are that are at the very top. Like when you're talking about less than ten to one, that's just a waste. You just wait and try to catch it live, like you know, like we do with Finau. I mean, that Finau thing was crazy. He was, I mean, geez Louise, he's plus twenty five hundred after one round. That turned out, yeah. I DJ six to one, Cantlay is eleven to one. I see. Oh, Casey's here at eighteen to one. So you can get Paul Casey. You should you be go. able to go get, get to your book, eighteen to one. Victor Hovland thirty to one. Uh, yep. from what I see. All right, we've got out a, a couple good ones there for all our pals, uh, Verno. Uh, you will be on throughout this golf season. Wait, good debut. Thanks for coming on with me today, buddy. My man, thanks, Hoss. All right, my par-saving pals, big thanks to Amanda Balionis and Chris Vernon. Hope all of you do well with some of our thoughts this week. I'll put up some uh, selections on the Twitter as well. Tomorrow, Wednesday, same day that this podcast will be up for your enjoy- full enjoyment and consumption. We are back next week. We're going to talk about whoever has taken down 
this AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am and also preview the beautiful event out at Riviera Country Club, the Genesis Invitational. Until then, my birdie buddies, let's hit them straight out there. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.